0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to master investors autumn update with the original master investor jim mellon now he has a flair for identifying emerging global trends and for creating them such as why the future of meat is going to be lab grown. He's the author of several books. His most recent is Moose Law, an investor's guide to the new agrarian revolution. We are delighted that we are going to be benefiting today from both his hindsight and his foresight. Now, Jim, thank you for joining us. Another virtual event which is the new norm yet this week it's been COVID concerns and a fresh outbreak of the infection in china that has been blamed for depressing stocks is it right to put the blame on pandemics door and are you feeling healthy
1: oh uh thank you sarah it's lovely to uh to talk to you today and thank you everyone for for joining this um this webinar I'm in Dubai, and I can tell you that I've now had um, five vaccinations. <laughs> um, I had my fifth uh, a couple of days ago, and apart from a sore arm, I feel absolutely fine. So um, I don't think I'm going to be coming down with COVID. So yes, I'm I'm healthy. Uh, it's very hot here, as you might imagine, um, and uh, but it's you know full of business energy and uh, great opportunity. I recommend anyone who's young. Uh, and setting out that they should check out Dubai in the same way that people like myself used to check out Hong Kong or Singapore. I think this is the new place to be um, to be starting if you can.
0: Well, it, well, it's all lemonades and lollipops where you are, Jim. But what um, I was hoping that you'd give us is a reason not to blame COVID for the current pathetic state of the markets that we're experiencing in the UK.
1: Well. Uh, You know, I don't think markets have been uh, very weak. I mean, okay, the UK market is the cheapest major market uh, in the world. As we know, it's about 14 or 15 times uh, forward earnings, but that's not particularly cheap. Um, There are reasons why the UK market has underperformed other markets, and that's mainly due to the overconcentration in old industries in the UK, like banks or uh, mining companies, um, uh, utilities, whereas in elsewhere in the world, you've had a much heavier concentration of technology companies, as you know, Sarah, um, there are also reasons to be optimistic about the UK and I'm very happy to go into those. Um, but generally speaking, I think markets are far too high. And, uh, the reason why we've had some, uh, fallback in the last, uh, few weeks is partly due to the power of gravity on, uh, things that have gone flown too high, like Daedalus and Icarus uh, towards the sun. But it's also partly due to the shock that the Chinese Communist Party has uh, engineered in the Chinese markets by progressively going through hot sectors and effectively destroying them. And I I, I don't know if you know this in detail, but uh, the first one was the tutorial sector. uh, And there were several companies listed in the multi-billion dollars in the United States uh, that represented the cream of uh, Chinese tutorial uh, ventures, where they taught children and adults outside of uh, school and work to increase their uh, educational opportunities. And that was deemed to be a common good. So in other words, they were not to make any more more money. And the stocks in that area are down 95% uh, since the beginning of the year. Uh, And then they moved on to the familiar tech stocks like Tencent and Alibaba and NetEase and so forth, and uh, said that they had to basically hand over a large part of their profits uh, for the good of the country. Um, And then they today went after the casino companies, which are largely U.S. companies that are partly listed um, in Hong Kong and so forth, and they fell by 30% today. So one by one, the Chinese have been actively, uh, you know, almost canceling the, uh, the opportunities for making money in the uh, tech sectors. And uh, at the moment, most people are, Western investors are quite sanguine about the tech sector in our countries, but you know, it could happen. Uh, my view is that, you know, these tech companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon have been, you uh, and apple have been uh, going up i mean admittedly not as fast as they used to go up but they've still been gently rising over the last uh, year or two and they are making so much money that it must be a tempting target for governments to impose fines and taxes and if you remember back in 2008 and 2009 the banks were the ones that were making lots of money and they were uh, you know punished uh, in the form of extra levies and taxes and so forth. And for the last 10 years, they've been uh, hampered um, by, uh, by government uh, brigandry in terms of taking that surplus profits. And it could well be that they will turn their attention to the tech companies.
0: So let's go back to China, because over the last six months, I've seen losses of between 18 to 30% in Baidu, Tencent and um, Alibaba. Nothing quite like the the horror shock of the 95% drop in other companies that you were referencing there. But some of the people watching today, they've put an awful lot of money into Chinese-related funds. So is it time to be jettisoning? Oh, and, and, and withdrawing from those funds, or do we hold tight?
1: Well, I you know, to be quite honest, I've, I've not had uh, exposure to uh, China. Um, and you're at the mercy really there of the, of the government's whims. The government has expressed, and I don't think it's a bad thing to express, uh, a concern at the rising inequality which we've seen really around the world. Uh, in terms of um, the, uh, you know, the gap between the ultra wealthy and the, the the regular citizens who are much less wealthy, obviously, and they want to do something about it. So they're basically forcing these companies, which are huge cash generators, to put back some of their, a large part of their profits, actually, into the um, into society. Now that, to my mind, caps the upside on these companies because every time that they grow, they're going to have to pay off more and more of their uh, profits. So uh, I don't know if today is the right time to diverse, but I think you have to be concerned about China as a viable place for foreign investment. Um, there was another one I forgot to mention, which was DD. DD is uh, a cab type service like Uber. Um, and it listed in New York. And then within a couple of weeks, uh, it was slapped with a lot of regulatory penalties and the stock fell very sharply. So it could be you know, a, a dual, a double-edged thing. One is uh, we want to reduce inequality in China. And second is we're not very happy about these Chinese companies listing in overseas markets because that represents a potential capital flight from China for the wealthy who are the principal shelters of these companies. And they don't like that.
0: So let's go away from government interference to government advice, because as recently the past 24 hours, our government are advising us to work from home this autumn, this winter to protect the NHS, which so more of the office sofa, which brings us to a question from the audience. Um, previously, um, the, the the questioner asks, you have assumed there will be a widespread recovery in trade and travel based on vaccination success but do you now think this is actually an optimistic gamble as oil and airline companies still languish?
1: Uh, The oil companies probably languish for a different reason. And this gets back to, uh, you know, decarbonization and, uh, you know, the need for big companies like Shell and BP to go into alternative energy. Uh, of course, when they divest their oil and gas interest, someone else buys them. So it's, a, it's, a, it's not necessarily a reduction in carbon emissions. It's just by different entities. Um, so the oil and gas companies are different to the airlines. Look, my own view is that this pandemic is very close to being over. And, um, uh, you know, over for the majority of us. And they say that 93% of the British population now has Antibodies, um, there is a thing called Farr's Law, which is as the virus uh, spreads more widely, it attenuates, so it basically gets less virulent. I mean, we're gonna have COVID forever, but it will be like the flu. Um, I wouldn't regard COVID as a barrier to, uh, to international travel. And I know that many people want to travel in fact, this summer, you know, I could see it in Spain where we, we were um, just huge numbers of people coming down as soon as they could, despite all the inconveniences of COVID testing and all that sort of stuff and the extra pricing. Um, so I'm not uh, pessimistic about that at all. However, it has taken a bit longer. So companies like EasyJet and IAG, which owns British Airways, um, have been burning through cash for longer than expected. And EasyJet is doing a rights issue at the moment. I think. EasyJet is a good buy now because they're tapping their shareholders and they'll probably have some cash and someone will go after them. I mean, Michael O'Leary of Ryanair is saying that EasyJet is a very big consolidation player. And I don't disagree with him. I, I bought some EasyJet this week and uh, IAG is a good company, got some good brands underneath it and uh, is very close to making profits again on the North Atlantic route, which is its principal source of, uh, of profit. And because I'm sure that the US is going to open up to European travelers quite soon. So let's not be pessimistic about those ones. Um, I mean, you know, not all travel related stocks are going to do very well, but uh, some of them will do well. So actually, it's been a good ride from the bottom up to the current uh, position. And I think there's further to go in, in this sector.
0: I'm just wondering if the takeover premiums are already being factored into EasyJet, particularly as there are talks of it merging with ease, uh, with a uh, Air, uh, but that's an ongoing story which should have a conclusion, I reckon, within the next five weeks. But let's go from jet fuel to alternative um energy Um, there's a question do you see a future for hydrogen in the energy mix now many investors were enchanted by the helium one story which has found a large-scale high-grade helium project in Tanzania however the share price is still skirting along IPO levels Um, but companies aside what about investment opportunities in the infrastructure energy storage fuel cells or some other usage?
1: Yeah, well, I, actually, I was a, uh, seed, in, a seed investor in uh, Helium One. And my friend, Ian Stalker, uh, who's now the chairman of Brad Ahead, which is another one of our companies, uh, was kind of founded that along with Neil Herbert. Um, but I'm glad to say that was a very profitable uh, one for us. And I, I think it's done quite well for early stage investors. Um, but you know, all these early stage exploration companies, as many a slip between cup and lip, and uh, it, it will take some time to, for them to pan out. In terms of the hydrogen economy, I really believe in it. I think this is hydrogen, particularly for large scale transportation, like shipping, for instance, uh, makes a huge amount of sense. The problem is the containment of the hydrogen is 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 heavy itself. So you know, although the hydrogen is much more efficient than uh, fossil fuels. Uh, you have to contain it in very secure vessels. That will be cracked. I'm sure that that problem will be cracked. But there is a huge amount of hype around hydrogen. And I just saw that the founder or the boss of JC Banford's son has just started a hydrogen fund. And when I see uh, funds being started and then there's a lot of hype, I'm always concerned that people are going to lose money. So I, I won't be personally subscribing to that fund. I think that we just... It's a great idea. It will probably work in uh, in practice, but um, I think we need to uh, you know consider the pricing. It's too high.
0: Okay. Well, a bit more on the chemistry side. We've got um, lithium, atomic number three. It's an element of many uses. Manufacture of aircraft and in certain batteries. It's used in uh, mental health. Broader head. You've. just two months ago, listed on AIM, described as a new breed of lithium explorer with unique exposure across all three main recognised lithium deposit types, brine, pegmatite and sedimentary. Now, next week, it's changing its name to Broadhead head lithium, which they could have done two months ago, admittedly. But you're a 21% shareholder, Jim. What's the attraction?
1: Well, I started the company. That's why I've got 21% of it. Um, But then I brought in Ian Stalker and uh, he brought in Charlie Fitzroy, who's a great manager. Um, And we started it uh, really based on the explosion in electric vehicles, which is going to carry on. And for the moment, uh, the electric vehicle uh, remains unchallenged by hydrogen fuel cells, because although hydrogen fuel cells, as I mentioned, are going to be important, I think they'll be important in large scale transportation first rather than uh, in cars. And uh, there is a there's a shortage of lithium, as we know uh, that the price of lithium is at an all time high um, and there's a particular desire by the US government that lithium uh, should be domestically produced so we concentrate in Bradley on and by the way Braddahead is the name of the promontory right next to my house in the Isle of man, which was a mining area, and they used to mine underneath the brad ahead so there is some legitimacy to the name. Um, but. Uh, They, you know, they're all and all their assets are in the US, they've done some clever deals in terms of buying back rights and so forth. And I think the, uh, you know, the drilling program uh, is going to get underway, there's a serious amount of money that's been raised, and I'm very optimistic about Brad Ahead, particularly because it's in the US. And, you know, so companies like Tesla will be encouraged, will want to have a secure supply of lithium of all types, um, from domestic sources and that's what we're that's what we're playing on
0: well hopefully that there aren't any mine shafts that have been dug underneath your home which uh, reveal themselves at the most unfortunate <laughs> oh, that's
1: very optimistic thank you for that now i'll be, I won't be able to sleep at night wondering if i'm going to be plunged down some sort of ancient hole <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> oh, but it would be fun, and that would be. probably... Yeah, it wouldn't
1: be fun. Well, oh, wouldn't it be? <laughs> thank you. Wouldn't be fun for that. Be fun for you, but not for me. But thank you anyway.
0: <laughs> it could be this the the, ch- uh, the next chapter in a new book, but um, another question <laughs> from the audience: Do you have a view about nuclear fusion?
1: Yeah, I think it's another, look. The UK is uh, the world leader in in several places. A nuclear fusion, and I think that you know, there's got to be, it's got to be a, a, a phenomenal thing. I, I don't know any way of playing it from a commercial point of view, and so um, from a master investor point of view, it's something to watch and watch for companies that emerge from that. But I'll tell you a little story about another area that we're, um, the UK is a world leader in, and that is quantum computing, which is going to be absolutely incredibly important and uh, a friend of mine called Ilias Khan who I've known for 25 years started a comp- company called Cambridge Quantum Computing um, which I'm very pleased to say I was the first investor in um, wasn't very long ago I think it was about eight years ago uh, they've just done a deal with Honeywell and uh, the valuation on that company is 10 billion dollars right it's not a company that's well known in the UK but it's a British company and Ilias was saying uh, when I last saw him that uh, the whole of the cryptocurrency space, all of it, which relies on uh, you know ledgers that are you can't hack, uh, will be upended by quantum computing within eighteen months, and that all internet protocols will be upended, and all uh, secure internet passwords, all that sort of stuff, will be upended. Uh, and it's going to be a dramatic uh, change. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on technology, um, but it's gonna be a dramatic change in technology. And this is why you know, a company like Cambridge Quantum Computing is worth $10 billion, because it's right at the cutting edge of something that's gonna be absolutely dramatically important. And I think we, we should watch this. And I know that you've had some questions on cryptocurrencies, but I think people who are in cryptocurrencies should consider the implications of, um, what might happen with quantum computing because they're important
0: so you have uttered the word crypto which still sends um fear through my spine um, <laughs> but, but you're right the questions have come in um, jim what's your opinion of utility enterprise grade cryptos
1: i don't even know what that means but um i assume it means the larger uh crypto uh, currencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so forth. Uh, I have to absolutely confess uh, that I'm not an expert in this um, and I've missed the boat, except that um, I have a friend called JY Zero who's an enormous believer that fiat money is dead, the banking system is inefficient, and that crypto will replace that. And like Leo, who's my nephew, um, I have a niece who uh, works in the crypto space. And again, is a fervent believer in it. Um, And they could well be right. There could be a significant role for crypto. However, we are seeing far too many coins being created, far too much speculation. And that normally ends in tears. And if you're in crypto at the moment, my general view is that you should probably reduce your exposure. My friend, JY Zero, has a huge amount, I mean, massive amount of money in crypto. And I keep telling him to take some off the table and buy a building or buy a buy a fleet of planes, whatever, but monetize um, some of it. But uh, there is something about crypto believers that they are, it's almost like a religion and uh, you know they're very, very fervent believers and they may well be proved right. But for the moment, I would say it's in a phase of consolidation probably time to take profits. Uh, Bitcoin went up to about 60,000, went down to 30,000. It's about 45,000 at the moment. That doesn't indicate to me a very positive trajectory. So I think I could, I would expect that Bitcoin will go back down to 30,000. So it's not the time to be in it at the moment.
0: So you've got the audience salivating about the quantum computing already. Colin asks, do you have quantum computing Investment ideas away from Cambridge quantum computing?
1: No. Um, uh, I mean, Elias has done a deal with Honeywell, which is an American listed company. Um, but I think Honeywell is a very big company. I'm not sure what, I, mean, I imagine it's like 30 or $50 billion. So the percentage of quantum computing and that at the moment isn't very big. But you might want to look at it. It might maybe be a way of playing the Cambridge um, aspect. Um, but I'm just very proud of So it's, it's amazing what he's done. It's incredible to have had that idea and to bring it to you know, this this level in such a short space of time. I don't believe there is a single UK company that's had the same trajectory. And yet we're not talking about it. Talk about Darktrace and talk about Oxford Nanopore. None of them are as big as Cambridge Quantum Computing in terms of their capitalization. And it's all happened in a very short space of time.
0: Well, we're talking about it now, but what we have been speaking about for time immemorial is the price of gold. It's currently at eighteen hundred dollars. That's about thirteen hundred pounds. It's a good hedge against inflation and other issues that we're battening the hatches against. Is it still a good investment, whether held in an ETF or a related investment vehicle? And can it touch two thousand US dollars?
1: Well, it touched two thousand dollars a few months ago, um, and I'm I'm not holding it for go to two thousand. I'm holding it to go to five thousand. And uh, you know, I've been saying this for a while that I think that we are in an inflationary environment. The central banks are saying, "Oh, it's transient. You know, it's going to be temporary," and there is some evidence of monetary slowing down in the United States. There's obviously a slowing down in China that's going on at the moment, but we are in fundamentally a new era of inflation. You know, that the, the, the period of long-term deflation that's lasted for the last thirty years is now broken. So, governments have got used to pump priming, but printing a lot of money to keep economies afloat, distorting the economies. You know, it's not normal to have a base rate of 0.1% that distorts everything in the economy. And the best hedge against that longer term is absolutely gold and silver, maybe with platinum attached to it. So I'm absolute believer, uh, not in the way that people are believing in cryptocurrencies because there'll come a time to sell gold and silver but I would suggest that if you buy gold today uh, and you close your eyes in five years time at some point it will reach close to five thousand dollars so it's you know it's a no-brainer now go back to the 1930s uh, the U.S. left the gold standard at that time and also left again in the 1970s and in the 1930s the U.S. government confiscated all privately held gold Um, But this time, they're not going to confiscate the gold, I think they might try and regulate and impose taxes on cryptocurrencies, um, which is a a very big market as well. So um, I don't know which way things are going. But, you know, gold is an essential part of everyone's portfolio at the moment. And you can play it in a whole variety of ways, as you know, Sarah, that you can go from the big miners like um, Barrick or Kinross Uh, to small ones like Condor, which I'm a significant child, um, and even smaller ones than that. Um, Or you can buy ETFs, make sure that they've actually got physical gold behind them, they're not just paper ETFs. Um, And, or you just buy futures in gold or you hold gold coins. And uh, in the UK, if you buy uh, sovereigns, they don't attract, because they're legal tender, they don't attract the AT. So that's a good one for British people to buy.
0: So you mentioned Condor Gold there. I last spoke to the chairman, Mark Child, about six weeks ago, and he tantalizingly s- spoke about the first gold pour being on the horizon. Do you know if that's still the case?
1: Uh, I think that uh, you know Condor's released all its plans and so forth. There are two phases. There's a kind of uh, you know early stage gold mining. Uh, smaller production as I understand it uh, and that may be relatively soon and by relatively soon I would have thought in the next year or so I, I, you'd have to ask Mark for the exact detail um, and then larger scale production of you know 100,000 ounces a year or something like that in, in 18 months or two years time uh, the main risk in Condor is not the gold or the mining execution or anything like that that's really being very professionally handled there's a perception of uh, political risk in Nicaragua, which may be overdone, but you know price per ounce in the ground for Condor, uh, which is increasingly proving up more and more reserves and uh, is is low. And that's why I think I've got, if I said I've got eighteen percent of that, um I think that's about right, and I'm very happy holder of that, and I will continue to support Condor. And one day, hopefully I'll get my just reward.
0: You need, to have you need to have an Excel spreadsheet in front of you in terms of all the investments you, you're making, have made and the companies that you've created as well. But we, we talked briefly about the, the vehicles that give people access to the precious metals. Um, question here, what are your thoughts on Golden Prospects Precious Metals? Now this is a fund and of course, um, one way to get exposure to multiple companies operating in the precious metals space. Are you familiar with the company and its fund?
1: Never heard of it, but I'll look it up after this uh, this show. So thanks for the tip, uh, (laughs) whichever uh, viewer that was, and I'll I'll look it up. I always like to hear about new ideas. So thank you for that. But at the moment, I'm I'm familiar with
0: it. um, That was a question from our cohort of master investors. And another master investor has asked, is Jim as bullish on silver as he is on gold?
1: Yes, it's more volatile than gold, as we know. Uh, There's a significant gap. At one point, the gap was absolutely enormous in the ratio terms, much higher than it had been since the 1960s. It's narrowed a bit, but I would say silver currently, uh, say $25 an ounce, um, is going to be $50 an ounce by the end of next year. So yeah, definitely buy silver.
0: Okay. Um, and to round this section up, uh, Niraj Taylor asks, precious metals, do you recommend buying as stocks or ETFs or even as gold bars, for example?
1: Well, I just said any one of those. And uh, depends on your appetite for risk. You know, the gold stocks will go up probably more than the price of gold because they're operationally leveraged to gold. I think if you're looking for dividend stream and, uh, you know, Big companies, Kinross and Barrick, which are two very large U.S. listed companies, are probably a way to play it. Um, and if you just want security, then get some uh, gold, gold coins and or gold bars if you're rich enough to afford those, and uh, put them in a place that no one knows about, including your husband or your wife. Just you know, have them under some sort of rock in the middle of nowhere, and. <laughs> wait for the day that you need it basically
0: or under that shaft which is under your house on the island I'm very
1: worried the- there I think you know more than I do about this I better get extra insurance
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Dubai at the moment I'm anticipating that you're going to be in Glasgow um, at the end of October because from the thirty. First of october to november the 12th glasgow is going to be a very busy place when it hosts cop 26 that's the un climate change conference zero carbon zero waste waste net zero you're going i'm assuming and if you are what are you wanting to learn or what are you wanting to contribute
1: yeah we're, we're, we're the longevity forum which is a charitable um, organization founded by uh, Andrew Scott, Dathina Gracchi and myself um, is putting on uh, its fourth year uh, events, one of which is in Glasgow uh, in November. And uh, we're going there to combine the uh, idea of longevity being linked to climate change because we won't live very long if we carry on the lang climate change to get out of control and uh, so my own panel my own contribution to that is one way of reducing climate change is to change the food system 20 percent of global emissions come from intensively farmed animals and we are able now to put our minds to reducing that level of intensive farming intensive farming didn't really exist until after the second world war and so that's what we're going to be talking about and i would like you know, the contribution that we can make is try and influence policymakers to see that this is the largest form of man-made emissions. It's a form that can be dealt with relatively quickly. Methane is a much more noxious emission than carbon, and uh, most of the methane emissions come from either natural gas or from cows, and uh, we can do something about, uh, you know, uh, the emissions from animals uh, relatively quickly. And that's actually the reason why I'm in Dubai at the moment because in the UAE, there's a, they import 95% of their food. So they're very receptive to the idea of making food in labs and uh, and getting rid of animals uh, in their food supply system. So that's why I'm going. But we can't find a hotel room in Glasgow. So we're gonna go from Edinburgh because it's 30 minutes on the train and we can stay in Edinburgh. So. Um, Glasgow is completely packed out. It's really, really difficult to get any accommodation there. Um, Edinburgh is just as
0: nice. It is just as nice. I was um,
1: born in Edinburgh, so yeah, it is just as nice. My dad was born in Glasgow, so we won't have an argument about it.
0: Okay, but do you not have any family in Edinburgh who could look after you if you've fallen out with them?
1: I've not fallen out with any members of my family, Um, but I I do have an apartment in Edinburgh. Very good. (laughs) I I will stop
0: stop worrying about you. Now, um, about a month ago, I attended Vegan Fest at uh, Newark Showground. Now, I'm a meat eater, but the 12,000 people that were with me aren't. And I remember looking around, seeing business cards being exchanged, and I was thinking, and to forgive the pun, this, it's begun at grassroots level amongst the young Um, Now, you've anticipated a lot of the trends that I was witnessing at the vegan camp out a month ago, which brings us on to your company, Agronomics, which you've just referenced. It has a focus on cellular lab-grown meat alternatives, plant-based sources of nutrition. This week, there's been plenty of news out from your portfolio constituents. So how is the portfolio developing and what are the common themes emerging apart from The ones I've just mentioned.
1: Yeah, um, well I'm really really keen on uh, this revolution and it's really the first one I've been in at the the very early stages, it's like the dial-up phase of the internet. It's also, unless you're a dairy farmer or a cattle farmer, one that which you really can't object to and uh, so uh, we are still quite early but you know, there are about 80 companies in the world involved in cellular agriculture or uh, growing uh, products in laboratories like materials, like cotton or um, collagen uh, or leather. Uh, and of those, we think about 30 are investable. None of them are public. So for the uh, the in master investors, um, really, as far as we can see at the moment, I'm, I'm sure there'll be competition that. that um, comes along and some of these companies will go public agronomics is the vehicle that um represents you know the only way that i know of that the retail investor can participate in this and you know i've got my money where my mouth is i'm the biggest shoulder of um agronomics i haven't sold a single share and i don't intend to i think it's got, you know i just love this industry and let's put it this way none of the products are science fiction all the companies have products that you can taste or feel or are, are some indeed are being sold, but at the moment, they're small scale. So it's a small scale. However, in the case of meat, which is the biggest market that these companies are addressing, and it could be any species of meat. There are three key components to the cost of production. One is the cost of bioreactors, which are huge, great, big stainless steel, uh, sort of like containers, cylinders, that price is coming down as they get bigger. Uh, the second cost is what's called media and that's the nutrition that goes to feed the cells that are being amplified in these um, and their muscle or fat cells in different containers combined for meat. Um, and that media cost is coming down. But what's most dramatic is that the biggest cost a couple of years ago of producing this Is growth factors. Growth factors are the ones that encourage the stem cells and then ultimately the cells to amplify and create meat very quickly and safely. And the growth factors in the last year have come down in price by 95%, which emphasizes that my book, which is called New's Law, it's a riff-off Moore's Law, you know, the semiconductor guy's uh, famous law that the price comes down by 50% every 18 months and the efficiency doubles every 18 months applies, but it's even faster in cellular agriculture. So in a few years' time, we'll see these foods, which are, by the way, perfect. They don't have any antibiotics, no hormones, no fecal contamination, no bacteria. They're the best in species. They are meat, they are leather, they are fish, they are dairy products, they're not synthetic in any way. They are just a more efficient way of producing these products than the animals which we previously have used. So if you think of a cow as being a very inefficient factory, what these companies are doing is producing efficient factories. And before I get on this rant too long, I'll just briefly say that a cow takes in 25 times more protein than it puts out. At scale, the cellular agriculture takes in two times, sorry, two and a half times Uh, the amount that it puts out. So one day in the relatively near future, India, China, and so forth, will be able to get their meat at lower prices than the conventionally farmed meat with no emissions, no antibiotics, no animal cruelty, no water use waste. I I don't know if you know that there's a huge amount of water use waste in agriculture. uh, And uh, they'll get it more cheaply. I mean, how good is that? And so, this is a fantastic convergence of science at exactly the right time when humanity needs it.
0: So, you've answered the question that came through about um, updates on the medium costs for producing cultured meat. What about um, our insights into your predicted timelines for the mainstream adoption? Of alternative lab grown products? Or does it all depend on how you lobby and how effective you are at COP26?
1: I don't think it'll be anything to do with me, to be quite honest. My voice is a tiny little one in comparison to some much more serious voices. But um, the total addressable market that these companies at the moment are going after is a $5 trillion market, which is twice the size of the UK economy. Of that, 1.4 trillion is meat, which is about the size of the Spanish economy. About $750 billion is the dairy industry. The fish is somewhere between two dollars and $300 billion. And then you've got materials like leather, cotton, and so forth that I mentioned. So very big opportunity. The, uh, the trajectory of this stuff will be that dairy will be the first one to be completely displaced. Dairy cows emit more noxious emissions than any other animals on the planet 40% of all cow or sorry all methane emissions from animals come from dairy cows, the dairy industry is a precarious industry financially, uh, and there are a lot of animal welfare issues with dairy as i'm sure you know and i'm not going to go into the detail uh, on master investor Um, so. The moment, plant-based milks, which we're all familiar with, like Oatly or almond-based milks or soy milk or whatever, have about coming up to a fifth of the U.S. market, and that's pretty similar in the U.K., but they're plant-based, uh, when precision fermentation products come on the market, which is where they grow uh, whey and casein using precision fermentation, it's almost like a brewing process, but it's an exact not replica, but it is exactly milk and then yogurt, cheeses, and so forth. And that will be on the market next year. The game's over for dairy farming. Uh, and the price of this stuff will be lower than the price of conventional milks, yogurts, cheeses, etc. But But the, they are exactly the same. And uh, so, and of course, you can also engineer, engineer them to be without uh, lactose uh, issues or lactose intolerant people can can, can, can eat them. Um, so dairy is the first one to go. The second one is fish. There isn't a strong lobby for fish and the US is likely to approve fish as early as the end of this year. So within three months. Uh, and then Blue Nalu, one of our companies will be uh, selling it next year in the US market. Uh, small scale to begin with and ultimately uh, big scale. No uh, methyl, Mercury in that fish, which is something that everyone should be worried about. No overfishing of the oceans and destruction of the ocean beds and coastal regions. And, you know, no microplastics, which are absorbed by most aquatic species at the moment. So just ticking every box and uh, not destroying the fishing industry, but just acting as a third arm of the fishing industry. So farmed fish, wild caught fish and cultivated fish, all working together to satisfy the growing need uh, for fish in the world. It's growing about 9% a year, and um, particularly in Asia, it's a very important part of the diet. So we're super excited about that. And the materials, they're here. So leather is already being sold by Vitro Labs, one of our companies, to the biggest fashion houses in the world. It's already there. It's lab-grown leather, which is much better for everyone, especially if you're a a calf that's uh being being slaughtered for your your hide um and it's the best it's identical to the best quality leather you can get
0: okay well there will be blood if i don't move on but um one of the audience (laughs) is talks about um Beyond Meat and Oatly, the brands um, being grotesquely um, overvalued. And uh, finally, is the agronomics trading in the U.S. on the OTC the same underlying investment as the one that trades in London?
1: I've never heard of agronomics trading OTC in the U.S. So I'll have to look it up because we the copyright on that side or trademark or whatever it is. So it must be uh, a pale imitator. But no. OK. okay. A very good question. Oatly. And beyond meat, I don't know if they're wildly overvalued, because obviously they have huge traction and upside in, in earnings, and they're certainly not as overvalued as Tesla, as an example. But plant-based foods typically don't have strong intellectual property protection. And the reason that we're so keen on cellular agriculture is that because of our biotech background, because we started companies in biotech with partners, um, the we know that intellectual property is the key to long-term or is a key to long-term economic value and I think most of the companies that we've invested in will be bought out by the conventional big food producers a bit like biotech companies are bought out by big pharma companies and so we're very keen on the IP aspect of cellular agriculture also it's not entirely clear that some of these plant-based foods are any better for you than eating conventional foods and also the potential for them to get their prices down to way below the level of conventional foods is not as great as for cellular agriculture so we love the cellular agriculture space and that's why we're focused on it
0: okay this is the last time i'm going to plug your book moose law but it is home all
1: profits to charity by the way so please uh, go out and buy it and i will not be benefiting i won't be going out on the town in Dubai celebrating more royalties because it all goes to the Good Food Institute.
0: Okay, that is good to know. However, that book and royalties are going to charities hones in on the holy trinity of longevity, climate and farming. Let's have a look at longevity and juvenescence. Juvenescence, uh, investing in a wide range of anti-aging therapies that it thinks have the potential to extend the human life time is against us as we know and we're waiting for the news of a potential listing any updates on the juvenescence ipo jim
1: yeah well let me put this in context all right so i'm the chairman of juvenescence and one of the along with greg bailey one of the largest shareholders and we together greg and i have put in nearly $50 million of our own cash into this business. So we believe in it. We've raised about a quarter of a billion dollars in the last four years since the company um, was established. Um, we have some very interesting, indeed fairly advanced uh, projects. And uh, I would expect that we will go pub. I mean, I can't get go into too much detail because of obvious public market reasons, but. I would expect that the next uh, few months, uh, Juvenescence will be a public company. That's my current expectation. Um, The industry itself is obviously got huge potential, but it's an iterative process. So there's no poly pill, one pill that people will be able to take that will reverse, you know, take years off them. And uh, it's a bit like, um, you know, it's a bit like the food industry, it will take some time for it to, to happen. But I do believe that we all, Sarah, you and me, uh, will probably live to, I mean, my dad's 92, uh, will probably live to well over 100, uh, unless we get run over by a bus. And I think most people on this master investor uh, chat will be living to over 100. And children today, have a good chance of living to 110 or 120. And that will be as a result of biological intervention. It won't be because of improved environment or be because of biological intervention. I don't believe that people are gonna be immortal. I don't think there's anyone who's gonna to live to a thousand. Um, but I do think that now we know what the pathways of aging are and that almost all of them are malleable. They can be changed in mammals, that will happen. So, juvenescence, as an example, is in a phase two trial for liver regeneration, which is a platform technology that might encompass things like the thymus, uh, the pancreas, uh, and in the liver, uh, this is super exciting because you can regrow uh, a liver in the body at a fraction of the cost of doing a liver transplant. Um, and so that's just one of the many juvenescence products. So when juvenescence comes public, I hope that investors will uh, admire it. Now, my partners are um, and particularly the uh, no they're both fantastic in different ways but one of them a guy called deck dugan five years ago invited greg my other partner and myself and this company has been promoted uh, through master investor through the last few years that was five years ago it started and we put in three million dollars for 54 percent of biohaven today uh biohaven's got a drug on the market which is remarkable five years as you know sarah for to get a a, a drug on the market and it's the best-selling drug for migraine in the united states and it's got a nice platform uh behind it that company is worth 10 billion us dollars all right so deck knows how to get the best out of the people and to shepherd the drugs and greg is really good at the financing of uh drug companies so i'm very happy to be along for the ride but we owned 54 percent of that company we don't anymore because it's been diluted by issues but it's been a phenomenal investment for us and i think juvenescence has got an even greater potential but we know something's going to work we just don't know what's going to work so it's an early stage investment but the team is really really good our ceo was formerly the chairman of the crick institute which you'll be familiar with which is the leading scientific institute uh, in London, based in Kings Cross, 2,000 scientists there. We just have a fantastic team of drug developers. And now we've got a consumer division with a, drug, with a product on the market. So I'm very excited about it. And uh, yeah, juvenescence will be a big success.
0: Very good. I'm just visualising a, a new liver being grown on a, a petri dish. But speaking no, it's, you-
1: it's grown inside you. Inside okay. you. Yeah, it's grown. It's, it's basically hepatocytes, which are liver cells, are implanted into lymph nodes of which we have about five or 600 uh, adjacent to the failing liver. And they act as an ectopic bioreactor to create new liver tissue, which over time takes over from the failing liver. And it, the FDA has approved it to go into sick patients, which is remarkable. Um, and there are millions and millions of people with terminal liver failure, and they don't have enough livers to go around. And the liver operations cost about $800,000 and take 15 hours. And you're on very heavy immunosuppression the rest of your life. How great it is that we could provide an operation that costs $100,000 is an outpatient procedure, and um, you don't need to go on the level of immunosuppressant drugs for the rest of your life. It's fantastic.
0: It is a thing of beauty, and I'm sorry I was being flippant about the Petri dish, but that's how I'd envisioned it initially. Um, speaking of time, a large, this is a question from the audience, um, a large number of older people have downsized and are sitting on a lot of cash. Any suggestions as to how best make use of this money given time is not on our side and we're not talking about the people who've been collecting the queue Gardens 50 pence pieces. So what should they be doing with their cash?
1: Well, it's, it's not just um, all the people who are sitting on cash, it's uh, corporations have got huge amounts of cash. And this is in part due to the manipulation by central banks and governments of the fundamentals of the monetary system. I'm not talking about conspiracies or anything like that. It's just they had to, they, they felt that they had to do this. And once you start doing it, it's very difficult to stop. Um, so uh, it's very difficult because uh, if you are earning nothing on your deposits and if you buy bonds, which are vastly overpriced and in some cases giving you a negative yield, you're basically eroding your capital, especially in a period of inflation. So, my recommendation, if you've got a lot of cash, is to, and, and if you're older, is if you don't want to take huge amounts of risk, I would buy some gold because I think it will provide a good in, inflation hedge. Um, I would uh, look at some very blue chip British shares. We talked at the beginning, Sarah, about how British shares are cheap by international comparison. And I'll just give you, if I may, if that's all right, I'll give you a few examples of shares that I, um, I like. I wrote in the last Master Investor piece I wrote, uh, my current favorite uh, is Tesco. Uh, you've seen that there's been a bidding war for um, Morrison's, which is a much weaker version of Tesco. Um, I see no reason why a private equity rate, it's not a national importance company, uh, private equity radar wouldn't go for Tesco. You get four and a bit percent dividend yield, it's about 10 times cash flow, it owns about half of its property. Um, it's the outright leader in online in the UK, way ahead of Arcado. And it's a well-run company and it divested its Thailand operations and paid a special dividend earlier this year, which is why if you look at the chart, you'll see there's a drop. That's when the special dividend was paid. Um, I think it's a better investment than cash. And um, I think it's got 30% upside. So that's a recommendation. I, as you know, recommended Lloyd's when it was in the 20s. It went up to nearly 50. Maybe it got to 50. It's about 43 now. Uh, Lloyd's is not particularly brilliant institution, but it is dominant in the UK mortgage market. It's uh, basically what you're doing there is you're, if you're a customer of Lloyd's, you're earning nothing on your deposit. If you buy Lloyd's shares, you're probably going to get a six or 7% dividend yield. It's a no brainer. I think you should buy that. It's a discount to its book value. Um, I think that AXA insurance, French insurance company is very cheap. And I've been buying that one. And uh, Babcock, which is uh, company that's beset with woes, but is our national warship builder and builds all sorts of warships around the world, given that defense is going to become an increasingly important thing. uh, And it's kind of cleaning up its act on the new management. I think Babcock's probably a buy at this stage. It's about 350 pence a share. And then in Japan, which I still think is a very cheap market and is on a bull run. Hitachi is my favorite stock at the moment, so I would buy Hitachi, one of the biggest Japanese companies, well-diversified, relatively cheap, and uh, those would be my recommendations. And if you want to go into pharma companies um, in the UK, I think Astra is better than GSK, so I would go for Astra. And in the US, Merck and Pfizer both offer good dividend yields, and Pfizer is enjoying a bonanza because of um, the jointly developed um, Pfizer-BioNTech uh vaccine which they didn't expect I think to go into booster shots and into children and all that sort of stuff they're actually making they're minting it basically at the moment so that's probably a good one
0: so I, I know that in the past you did buy Aviva um, is that still in your books
1: definitely yeah sorry I'm, I don't want to like sound like a broken record but you know any of the UK blue chip uh financial stocks that you know like Phoenix is another one basically pay out a decent dividend. Is a much better alternative to uh, cash. Uh, people remember in March or April of last year there was a sudden destruction of value in the stock market. That was a panic, and uh, most of those companies have gone back to the levels they were at the pandemic, or even above those. Um, and so, you know, even if there is high volatility in stock markets, um, you know, if you buy this sort of blue chip stuff, and you don't have, uh, you, you know, you want to, you know, be cautious about your investments. I think you. These are good ones uh, to go for. And actually, if you buy these sort of stocks, you don't need to go through a fund and pay management fees. Um, you can just buy them directly through a low-cost broker and and and, and hold them. And uh, then if they go down, then you can come and shoot me. But I'll be in Dubai, so it'd be quite hard to find me. I'm only joking, by the way. But I think these will be good investments.
0: Yeah, it might be hard to find you. Mm. That shaft underneath your house in the Isle of Wight crumbles as well. Um, there is a Thank question- you.
1: I love Man, by
0: the way. I love Man. Well, I, I keep moving you. Um, Big difference. <laughs> so uh, there's a question about Credit Suisse. Um, we know that Credit Suisse has made huge losses due to exposure to, um, to high profile bankruptcies, um, Arch Egos and Greensill. Any view on that? Because you were in favour of Credit Suisse at the beginning of the year, I believe.
1: No, I was in favor of Credit Suisse after the fall. And uh, so there's a small profit on our Credit Suisse position, which I think is okay. Um, I think Credit Suisse, you know, I, I like the firm. I'm actually a client of theirs. Um, I think they've got really good people. They've got an excellent money management wealth business. and I think wealth businesses will do very well uh, in the future. They've got a great franchise. They may be a merger or a takeover prospect, um, maybe for even one of the big British banks might buy them like HSBC or possibly at a stretch Lloyd's. Um, but if they're not bought, I think they're now uh, under much better management. And the guy who ran Lloyd's, as you know, I can never pronounce his name, but the Portuguese guy, Antonio, whatever, um, is now the chairman there and is really cleaning up the, the top level. Um, I think they just got uh carried away in some aspects of their business but the fundamental business is core good and uh it's about nine swiss francs, nine and a half swiss francs per share and i think you know you can see 12 on it and, you know in the current environment if you make 20 or 30 percent in a stock that's jolly good because you're going to make nothing in cash
0: so this conversation we've been having has been very life-affirming. I did try to start it talking about COVID and depressed markets and you corrected me and debated with me on that. Um, But in terms of life-affirming, you've got a large holding, Portage Biotech, as one of the founder investors. It's got many projects in the clinic. Um, Given cancer is one of the world's biggest enemies of us all, what can you tell us about Portage in a life-affirming sense?
1: Okay, so uh, Portage is run by a guy called Ian Waters. He's an exceptional scientist. Uh, he basically, a, a bit like Juvenessence, is invested in a number of projects. One is called Iox in the UK, where I think they're, they, they have the majority ownership. And then they have a smaller investment, I mean, smaller percentage and a called intensity, which is doing great stuff in trials. Um, they are a bit like a mining exploration company with multiple uh, exploration prospects. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, one or two of them will, will come right. Greg and I, Greg Bailey and myself, my long-standing business partner own, I think we own 70% of the shares. And, uh, you know, we did very well with Salverex and UK investors will be appreciative of that. Um, and it's the same team that did that. And I think over time, Portage will do very well. Its market cap is about 300 million US dollars. It's done extremely well um, in the last uh, year or so. Um, and I'm very confident in it. But, you know, ask me about the details of cancer therapies and, uh, you know, various blockades and all that sort of stuff. And I'm afraid you, you've got me. But I just trust the management and the, the quality of the team there.
0: Jim, we've run out of time, but thank you very, very much um, for your very precious time, because I know it's it's um, it's getting getting late ish where you are in Dubai at the moment we've received an Sarah you are
1: absolutely brilliant interlocutor we are, I want you back on again you're absolutely fantastic I'm sure everyone who's been listening to this uh, will agree with that you're absolutely fabulous and thank you <laughs> so much for, for for you doing it um, it's always a pleasure you know I just love doing master investor pieces and I can't wait that we all meet up again I think it's early next year uh in person And as i said i'll make this prediction now we are coming out of covid don't worry about the fourth or the fifth or sixth wave i honestly believe that we're towards the end of this and uh we i want to see everyone in person at master investor so please come
0: certainly will so that is next march and um before jim and i go well jim's out the way i'm going out the way shortly these are some of the scheduled events that um, Master Investor will be hosting shortly. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for all your questions. They have proved to be great fodder for some of the upcoming topics that you will see on the website. Thank you very much.